Good morning. It's like I haven't been up here before. Um, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. Spirit of truth. Spirit of truth, I just ask that you be established in the center of this place today, that everything is measured up against the plumb line of heavenly truth, which is the person of Jesus Christ. We welcome you in our midst. In Jesus' name. Okay, so I want to speak today not necessarily a light, comforting, cuddly word, because um, I tend to give those, uh, but it's quite a strong invitation. So it's got an element um, of a prophetic invitation and teaching. Um, component in it, but it's really an invitation for those who wish to stand up to count the cost and say, I want to be a pillar in the house of the Lord and I want to be a pillar in this community or, or in this nation. So on Tuesday night, I spoke about the posture of extravagant worship. That's like to lay down um, your life before him, be extravagant in demonstration, not just the place of the heart, but also in the demonstration of that, the outworking um, of worship and what it looks like to be dedicated and extravagant before the Lord. Um, and so that actually forms the foundation of this word, which is essentially to be a man of peace or a pillar um, in the house of the Lord. And in order to be a pillar, you need the foundation. And the foundation actually requires that we lay our lives down and lay down before the Lord. And then upon that foundation, we build. The, um, the message I spoke about worship has that posture of, of laying down, but also the posture of governing from the place of the awe of the Lord. And it is primary for us to present ourselves before the Lord in awe and worship so that he can build upon that place because it's from there that we can ascend and it is from there that we then administrate government. Um, and pillars in the house aren't necessarily, pillars in the community aren't necessarily built from the ground up, but they're built from up down. Right, we need to ascend first and then the pillar is established from heavenly places onto earth, not from earth into heavenly places. The worship takes us up and then we build the pillar from that place or the government from that place down. And I've often heard through the body of Christ, especially over the COVID period, just keep your eyes on Jesus. He's got this. And while I completely subscribe to keep our eyes on Jesus, we are the agents through which his got thisness is actually established, right? So we actually need to partake in the, we are the he's got this. We are that. It's not, he's not isolated in his, he's got this. We are the manifestation of he's got this. So what does it look like for us to be those agents in the pillar in the house of the Lord? We should be so in awe of him that we're compelled into action. So it starts from the awe of the Lord that then compels us to move. So I wanna look at John 5.19. I'm gonna read from here because that's small. Jesus gave them this answer, verily, truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself 
He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. It is really hard to stand up here. Lean on here. The, the presence of the Lord in this place is it's really, really strong. So lean into that. If you don't hear anything I have to say, let your, spirit, let your spirit listen and take notes for you. So Jesus himself says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And Jesus being our prototype, <laughs> if we keep our eyes on him and we see him, we actually see him. So this like, you know, just keep your eyes on Jesus if you keep your eyes on Jesus and you see him, you will be compelled by awe and love into action. If you see him, if you look to see him, you will be compelled into action. There's no, no place where you see the Lord and you're not so in awe that you just wanna pour out your life for him. So this, this just look at the Lord or just eyes on Jesus, that should be so compelling to action because if you see him, you can't help but act for him. You can't help but, but serve him and lay down your life for him because of how amazing he is. The awe of the Lord itself, the spirit of the fear of the Lord and the awe of the Lord would compel us into action and into service. Jesus, so if we look at Jesus, we see him and we wanna do what he did. He healed the sick. He addressed and challenged governments. He addressed and exposed heart motivation. He fed the poor, he called out sin, and he extended mercy. He wasn't silent. He didn't go hide away and pray and then go home to the Father. He demonstrated what he saw the Father doing on earth through action, through demonstration, and through he was a change agent. He was on earth, the God's got this, that we're meant to um, emulate. The Lord is seeking a man of peace in every part of society in every family, in every government place of influence, in every school, in every council, in every institute, everywhere. He is seeking the man of peace he can rest his government upon. So what is a man of peace? Luke 10, six. And if a son of peace is there, then your peace will rest on or settle upon him. But if there is no man of peace, it will return to you. And in Matthew, it uses the language house. If the house is worthy, then, then my peace will rest or your peace will rest upon it. So this is the context. Jesus has sent out the 72 disciples to bring in the harvest. And we'll come back to this at the end. And Jesus says, I paraphrase, go on your way. It's hostile out there. There's a hostile world, but go. And when you get to a place, say peace be to this house. And then if there is a man of peace or if the house is found worthy, your peace will rest on that. It will settle there. You know, so first of all, it's, it's requiring that we carry a level of peace for our peace to settle somewhere. So that's implied. You know, when you go, the interns know this, I talk about this a bit, but when you go out to the shops, you carry your peace and you're there for about an hour and you realize there is no place for that peace to settle and it returns to you and you've got to get out of there. 
because there's no place for it to rest. There's no resting in some of the places that we go into. And if we're not, if it's not a ministry or a calling to go into somewhere, there are hostile environments where you can only stay in for a certain amount of time till your peace is challenged because there's nowhere for your peace to rest. There's nowhere for it to stay and it comes back to you. And then like the, the um, environment around you starts to impose um, upon you. And it actually speaks about wipe the dust off your feet, leave. Walk out of that place. So this is the context. But it says, if, if a man of peace is found, if there is a place for peace to rest, then build there. Stay and build because there's honour there. So let's have a look at the whole, that whole passage of Luke 10, 6 to 12. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. And if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eat, eating and drinking, such that they give you, for the labourer is worthy of his wage. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But in whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city, which clings to us um, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, say this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you, but I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the day for Sodom than for this city. Ouch. But essentially, the nice part of that is where you find the man of peace, where you find the place for peace to rest, stay and build there. So there are two elements to this, the first one being the carrier of peace and finding the man of peace. So the sent ones go into places or pray into places or intercede for places, they first have to carry a peace to land. So you have to have something within you to land. So when we talk about going into government and trying to find a man of peace in there or somewhere for peace to land, you have to have peace yourself. So you have to carry the mandate and you have to have the peace of the Lord, the assurity and the knowing of the Lord to go into that place. You have to have something to land. And then when you go in, sorry, I'll get ahead of myself. So then your peace will rest and this is the peace of the Lord that you carry. You have to carry that. We often find going into nations for missions. Like you have all the programs, which are great, the preaching, the outreach, you heal the sick, people are hearing the gospel, people are being fed. But what is necessary to take the region, to actually like, um, own it, to take it, is a man of peace or a house of peace in that place. Otherwise, you've gone in, you've administrated elements of the kingdom of heaven, but there's no taking, no building, and no establishing. There needs to be a man of peace in that place. And peace here doesn't mean just people who are necessarily nice to you or will facilitate the missions trip or help you with it. It's someone there that will then build, someone that can be built upon. Um, and I think I've spoken about this before, but a number of months ago, I was, um, I was leading the song, Let There Be Light, and we started to decree over different um, areas whether it's in government, in, in education. And as soon as we hit education, the Lord said to me, but where is my man of peace? 
You can declare light over a place and you can declare the government of the Lord to land, but if there is no place for it to land, if there's no man of peace, nobody standing up counting the costs and say, let the glory of the Lord land on me in this place, then it will have to go over. There has to be a man of peace. There has to be an agent of his got this in a place for the glory of the Lord to land and transformation to happen. And so that's the second part is being a man of peace in your region, in your area of influence, where you've been given responsibility or where you've taken responsibility to be a man of peace in that place that the Lord can build around. And that's where he started to show me, took me back to one of our favorite scriptures here, Isaiah 22, 23. And I fasten him like a peg in a secure place and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. And so the entirety um, of the scripture, we'll go back to 22 actually. And I'll read that whole thing. And the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulders and he shall, what he shall open no one will shut and he shall shut and it can't be opened. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place and he will become a glorious throne in his father's house. This word is a significant word in this house, both personally for Todd, but also for Field of Dreams. A number of years ago, I tried to find a photo of this, and there was not a single photo where we all looked decent. <laughs> so I didn't put it up. Like, it, they're bad photos. I should have just took, taken a photo of the peg itself, but bef just as we moved into, um, well, before we moved into here, we're actually going through a lot of persecution as we do. Um, and the Lord spoke to Todd and gave him promise out of this scripture. But he started with, you are a peg. Um, and I will drive you in and make you a secure place. And we certainly felt a long season of being driven in, um, of that peg really being um, landing in. And, and you know, the, the amount of belts that you need on the head and to, to be secured into a place. We felt that for a good season. Um, and there's nothing particularly honourable about being a peg. But the balance of the scripture, which was the promise of the Lord for us, was that he will make us a throne of honour, a throne of honour to the Lord. And that promise was a peg for us in many seasons of, of, of persecution or of like really hard work of, of driving the things um, of the Lord and the mandate that we really felt that he had for us. But that was such a, a holding promise of the Lord. So when we bought this building, we got a big, um, a big peg, a big stake, and under here, um, before we did the renovations, we've driven that into the ground and on it has Isaiah 22, 22 to 23. We anointed it and we prayed over it. And in this house, therefore, there is an invitation to everyone who calls this home to be a peg that will become a throne of honour that the Lord can build around. And that is part of the mandate of this house. We didn't know at the time the significance of that in the area of politics and the, in different areas of industry. But that was the promise that the Lord gave to us and the yes. And we got whatever the cost is, and, the, and there's costs, and that's probably the hard part of this, this message. It's, it's not an easy road. It's not necessarily a comforting 
um, message but for the joy set before us. That is to become the throne of honour upon which the Lord can land his glory. So the invitation in this place is, will you carry the government or peace wherever I send you? Be a man of peace wherever I establish you. Will you allow me to drive you into the rock to be established? And there is, um, there is pressure that comes with being driven in to the rock over and over and over again until you're a secure place. I use the word government and peace interchangeably um, because there's so much interweaving um, between those. When Jesus said, peace be still to the storm, he wasn't talking about, well, from a place that we think peace is from, like that, that comfort or that um, place of everything's all right. It's a place of government. When he said, peace be still, that was a governmental statement for creation to come into order, into the peace and order um, of the Lord. He administrated in that place the government of heaven, the atmosphere and personality of heaven, which is peace. But it's a peace that brings order and it's a peace that divides. The man of peace is a pillar. And by pillar, that is a structure that supports the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God in the house of the Lord, in the community, in a region or in a nation. But it's something that he can rest, the Lord can rest his glory upon. The peg becomes foundational for landing the kingdom of heaven. It requires a man or a woman or a house or a community that the Lord can rely upon. And to rely upon means that he can rest his glory upon knowing that it is sure and that even in the flood and the storm, it stands. It's value-driven, it's purpose-driven, it's kingdom-driven even when it's unpopular, even when it's against the grain. And it won't be moved if it is driven into the rock. It's a secure place. And we spoke on, on Tuesday, I spoke on Tuesday night about um, worship and the type of worship that, that David demonstrated in order to usher in the habitation of the kingdom of God, the, the landing of the kingdom of God. And then David wanted to build him a house. See, so the, the, the progression is we usher in the kingdom of God, we bring it in with the worship, the awe, and then we build him a house. And the house is built around the peg and it is the pillar of the Lord, it is the people who become the thing that the glory of God can rest upon. And in this season, he's calling us into that. The peg is the secure place, the throne of honor. There's this obvious link between the peg and the nail, the throne, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the whole message in itself. But it's the full sacrifice, the full laying down of being a or allowing the nail or allowing us to be the peg and the nail that gets secured in. Um, a husband who lays his life down for his wife becomes the peg of the family. It's driven into the secure place of the Lord around which the honour, the throne of honour of the family is established. So doesn't, there are so many elements and places in, in society and life where we need to allow ourselves to be so surrendered to the Lord that we're the peg, and that we lay ourselves down and that is not a doormat posture. 
I think sometimes we think to, to lay our lives down or to surrender is sort of I'm going to be walked all over and there's this doormat, I'm just gonna do um, whatever it takes. But actually there's a ferocity and strength required to hold peace. You actually have to war for peace. Wars are fought for peace. Wars are waged for peace. Appeasement, that doormat posture, just hands over what should be fought for. Hands over territory. Hands over territory of our heart. Hands over territory of society. Hands over our education. Hands over our government. Hands over our country. That's appeasement, that's not peace. Peace is fought for. There's a strength and a ferocity needed and a boldness and a courage needed in his people in this time to hold to peace, to establish it. Not to appease, not to let go, not to lay down, not to hand over territory that belongs to our God. We have a responsibility and a mandate to fight for peace, to war for peace, to battle for peace to allow ourselves to be nailed in, secured into a place that we can have something built around us to land and establish. The impact of us owning the land here as an ecclesia is significant. The placement is significant. The heritage is significant. The mandate and calling is significant. Owning land or being established in a place is a way to become a man of peace, to own territory, to establish something. So the invitation is there for everyone, but the cost has to be counted first. There is a persecution to be faced. Peace is not as popular as you would believe because it's not what we think. It is standing against the storm where your peace is tested. It is protecting the sheep as a watchman on the wall, self-sacrifice, taking the hits, taking responsibility, standing against, calling it out. Calling out sin, calling out what's evil, calling out what's wrong, standing up, not being silent. Silence is appeasement. And silence will allow others to take territory from us without war, without fighting. Territory that belongs to the Lord, we will give over for the sake of feeling comfortable. That's not okay. That's not okay. Don't think for a moment that if something's hard, that makes it not God. Sometimes the things were often, mainly, usually, the things of the Lord are hard because they challenge our comfort and they challenge what we would like and they challenge our own desires. We often quote Isaiah 54 2. I'll pop that up in a minute. To enlarge the territory of your tent. But this actually also speaks about the peg. It says, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Same word there as peg. In other words, there's a calling here to enlarge our territory, take more. Take more for the Lord because it is all his anyway. But then we need to secure it. 
and that requires a man of peace to hold it. So often we go ahead and we take territory and we never think about how we're going to hold the territory once we've taken the territory. How are we going to build? So we keep, we keep fighting an army going forward, taking all of this territory, but then behind we lead, leave a desolate place that hasn't been established, that there's no man of peace, and then it gets taken again. We actually have to have the strategy of not just taking territory, but securing the pegs in order to own the territory and establish it, the whole lot of it, and build it for the kingdom of God so that the glory of the Lord can land in every territory that we take. It's not about going through and taking things and not establishing the kingdom. We're called to take the territory and establish, build. We can take territory, but unless there are strong pegs, we don't secure it. And this is, this is part of this season. We need to have both intentions. I spoke about math, uh, you know, the Lord coming to divide before and in Matthew 10, and I won't put that up, it talks about the, the peace of the Lord coming to divide between members of the family and, and members of society because peace challenges. It challenges, especially when peace in truth, it challenges the willingness of the body to just keep laying down. And so when that challenge, I'm gonna be careful. When that challenge comes into communities or families, and there's a challenge to stand up for the Lord and stand up to take territory and own territory, the peace of the Lord comes to divide between what's appeasement and what's peace. And you'll find that challenges relationships over and over and over again within the body of Christ. I'm not, not even talking about outside of it, but within the body of Christ, that, that dividing keeps coming because what is the difference between peace and appeasement? One takes territory and will take it forcefully and with strength and with courage and the other one will just keep handing it over saying God's got this without understanding we are the God's got this. And we keep handing it over, everything over to the kingdom of darkness and then wondering why all of these things are happening and why the kingdom of God isn't being established because we're not establishing it. And that's what um, peace in truth or truth in peace does. It comes and brings that division. There is often a cost, there is always a cost in the yes of being a man of peace. And that cost isn't just the division between maybe us and others, but it is also a cost of division of our heart, the places of our heart, the things that we love, the idols that we actually have to surrender in order to be it. And it speaks in Hebrews about laying aside every weight and sin that clings to us, looking at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, because it was, and he was able to see, right, the joy set before him to endure. There was an enduring there of the cross, an enduring there of being driven in, but he had his eyes fixed on the joy set before him, the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven on earth. You cannot build on a foundation or with pillars of divided loyalties. 
And those divided loyalties can be external and those divided loyalties can be internal. Whatever the case may be, they have to be dealt with and they have to be cut off from us. Second Corinthians speaks about not being unequally yoked. And what does that mean? It means not being on trading floors with or in a covenant with or in a contract with or bound to anything where your decisions or actions can be influenced by others who have values or motivations contrary to the kingdom of heaven. We are unequally yoked whenever we are bound to anything externally or internally that will cause us to make decisions that are opposing to the values of the kingdom of heaven. And whenever we have those, we're not a stable pillar. The Lord cannot build upon something that can easily be shaken or broken when a decision comes and we have to make one that is opposing to the kingdom of heaven because we're on trading floors. So we have to deal with the trading floors externally and internally so that we can actually be a solid pillar. It went really quiet. I did say it wasn't a cuddly word. (laughs) One of my favorite quotes from Winston Churchill, which for some reason resonates with me, is I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. He did not trivialize the battle. He didn't pretend (laughs) that it was all gonna be okay, but he was defiant and determined in the face of it. And that's what we're being called to. He's like, it's gonna be hard, but I'm gonna give you all my, my all in that. And sometimes when we, when we invite people into the kingdom of heaven or we invite people into mandate or we're like, come up higher, you know, come, come to the higher things of the Lord. Then we try to water down like how hard it's going to be or the cost and it's gonna be all okay, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. Everything's okay, you come into this field and you're dancing around with lambs and, and, and that's salvation. But we really do, we really played it down and we don't really equip well people for the battle ahead. We need to make sure that they see the joy set in front of them, that they see the beauty of the kingdom of heaven, that God is good and he has got this. There is a battle and we do win, but we can't play down the fact that we need to be part of an army and that there is a battle and we do have to stand up and we have to count the cost and we have to get rid of all of the stuff that weighs us down that is contrary, we can't, we can't keep telling people a fluffy story, a, a golden book story about salvation when they're called into a battle. They're called into you know, the kingdom of light to battle darkness. It just makes it harder for them when they end up on a battlefield and they thought they were gonna be in a little playpen. <laughs> we need to equip the body of Christ. There is a reality that Jesus has already done everything that he will. He's already done it all. We're wanting, but we keep wanting to go onto these trading floors with the Lord where we're like, well, if I do this and I pay this cost, then this is what you're going to give me in return. And I'm going, so is that, is that agreed? And he's like, I've already done it. 
I've already done it all. I've already given it all to you. You just need to lay hold of it. You need to take possession, take the territory so you can actually lay hold of everything that I've already done. We need to stand up and be pillars because we're part of a kingdom. We have to have this posture for this cause, for the cause of this kingdom. You know, the, the, the movies that you watch about, you know, the knights going out to, you know, because for the love of the king, and they go and take territory and, they, and they, they're so passionate for the love of the king or the love of the kingdom or the, the, the love of the crown. There's this, there's this passion, it's for this cause. They're so consumed with the cause that their life is insignificant to the cause because that's the pursuit. And that's the posture that we can have or we need to have with the kingdom of, of the Lord. He has already secured our life. He has already secured our eternal life. He has already secured us. And so we, we need to come into the place of awe where we're so compelled for the cause of the kingdom where he has already secured us in, doing all that he can do to secure our salvation, our eternity, everything that he did on the cross that in him and through him and by him and for him we live. And we're compelled by this cause. We're compelled by love of the king, compelled by love of the kingdom to pursue and take territory for him. Mm. We come to this place of consecration where the sword of Jesus and the, the sword of peace comes to divide everything that actually really steals genuine peace or genuine power. And when we allow him to come and clear all that away, divide all that away, we're left with a foundation that can carry the weight of the glory of God. Choosing to surrender ourselves in that way allows us not to just begin well, but to end well to finish well, I've run my race. And that type of posture where we allow him to come and cut all of that away means that we can stand. Means that we can bring transformation to a region that has an everlasting impact and the fingerprint of God on a generation. We have Paul's encouragement in Timothy 2 Timothy 4.5. As for you, always being sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And I believe that the work of evangelist is not just like to win souls, but to establish souls into the kingdom. Not, not just to um, preach the gospel, but to establish the gospel in people's lives and in regions and in, in, um, in houses. And so there's not just the winning, but there's the establishing and the taking and that, that peg reality. For I have, begun to, I have been poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. And is this not what we all want to be able to say? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is what the Lord is calling us to in this season. I have other examples, but I just wanna quickly give you some of the things to look at 
where the man of peace has been established and the region has been changed because of it in, in scripture. So homework. Um, the centurion in Matthew 8, because of his faith, he says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. It's because of his faith and then the healing of his servant that this was actually being able to establish the Gentiles coming in and eating at the same table, reclining at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, man of peace, man of peace for his people. The Samaritan woman, because of her faith and what she saw, she says to her people, come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And you read the rest of that John 4, 4 to 42, man of peace came and testified of the Lord, region saved. Then you've got the, um, the Philippian jailer. You've got Joseph in Egypt ripped out of his family established in another country, faithful to the Lord, interprets a dream, establishes government, feeds and saves nation, one man of peace that the Lord could build a throne of honour around. We've got Moses, etc., etc., etc. There are so many examples throughout Scripture of the man who would count the cost, or woman, who would count the cost, be established, allow the Lord to drive them in. And there were seasons where they didn't, it didn't look like a place of honour for Joseph for a very, very long time. But then the Lord was able to establish around him a throne of honour that saved nations. There was so much grain they couldn't even count it anymore. I mean, he allowed himself to be used by the Lord, driven in and around that the Lord could build a throne of honour. Of course, there are times where a man of peace can't be found and Jesus found this in his own town where he was only able to do a few miracles but not really establish the kingdom of heaven and had to move on. So this is the invitation. The Lord is calling those who are willing to stand up and be a man of peace for their community, their family, their region, who will pay the cost for others and also for the sustaining of an outpouring that not only transforms a region and a generation but leaves a mark that is generational and lasting. Will you be that man? Let's put the pants on. Oh, very good timing. It's so good. <laughs> I'm actually not going to um, ask for a show of hands because I think that there's a, a counting of the cost that has to genuinely be considered. It's not a, yeah, that sounds good. I, you know, I, I would like to be that. You have to understand the battle that you're in, the, the times that you're in. And you have to spend time with the Lord to see the joy set before you. You have to see the kingdom of heaven. You have to see the Lord. And because it's from there that you're able to give a genuine yes. 
you have to make that commitment from an ascended place. Seeing the Lord, being in awe of Him, being compelled for the cause of the kingdom of heaven. So I'm just gonna land it with a prayer. Holy Spirit, I just ask Lord that in this season and in this time, you reveal Jesus to us, that you reveal the joy set before us, the kingdom of heaven, that Lord, you would instill in us courage and boldness to be who we need to be in order to be a pillar in this time for your glory to rest upon and for your kingdom to be established. Would you show us mandate? Would you show us the kingdom of heaven? Would you show us Jesus? Would you reveal to us your glory that you seek to establish in this time? Would you fill us with courage and boldness and strength and love that compels us to action? In Jesus' name, amen. And that is all. <laughs>